I had a really big mission. I needed to bring these formulas that I knew really worked and were creating physical change to the table. And I needed to bottle it up in this way that felt so beautiful and celebratory and loving that it could be a catalyst to get you back to that relationship with yourself. You're listening to The Milk Podcast. This is the show where we talk about motherhood and sexuality with amazing women with fascinating stories to share on the joys of being a MILF. Now here's your host, the milfiest MILF I know, Jennifer Tracy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is MILF Podcast, the show where we talk about motherhood, sexuality, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. I'm Jennifer Tracy, your host. I really hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Kimberly Muller last week. And now we are... In the middle of January 2019, I can't believe it. And today on the show, we have May Lindstrom. May Lindstrom is a genius. <laughs> and I was a little bit star, I was very starstruck when uh, she came to my home for our interview. I, um, I use May's skincare line and I've been a big fan of her skincare line for over a year now. And she's just this ethereal being that is just really always fascinated me. And so when she agreed to be on the show, I just, I felt like I won a huge prize, which I did. And then when she came and I learned her story, her personal story, I was just so amazed at what she, where she came from, what happened, what she chose, the path that she that she walked and, and how she got to where she is today. It's fascinating. And this is the exact reason that I do this show because it's just so interesting to me. I just, I mean, I can, and hopefully will do this forever. I just love listening to women's stories. So, um, I really hope you enjoy the episode. A couple quick items of business. So the month of January is, uh, the January give for MILF podcast is an organization called Harvest Home LA. They can be found at harvesthomela.org. If you want to donate directly to them, please do that. It is an organization that provides housing and uh, programming for women, homeless women and their children. Uh, so if they're pregnant and about to deliver, or if they have the babies, they can go live there in a safe and clean environment and also gain the skills that they need to become independent again. It's beautiful. So go check out the website. I'm, I'm really supportive of this program and what they're doing for women, homeless women and children. So that's for January. And then just a quick reminder, we recently changed our rating to explicit. There are only two ratings on iTunes, so you can either be totally clean or explicit. And so even though, you know, this show is really, you know, we're not, <laughs> we don't drop F-bombs every other word. It depends on the guest. You know, some people curse more than others, but I don't like to censor people. <laughs> so uh, if they need to curse, that's fine. Sometimes I curse. But just so that you guys are aware that <clears throat> sometimes that happens. Sometimes we talk about sex. Sometimes we talk about sexuality. So that's why the rating is now explicit. Without further ado, <laughs> uh, I would just like to introduce this episode with May Lindstrom. I'm just so proud of this conversation with her. She is just a fascinating woman and a beautiful spirit. And um, I feel so lucky that I got to spend this time with her. So I hope you enjoy. 
Hi, May. Hi. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's so good to be here oh after God. how much time we've we've tried to find oh this date. Oh my gosh. But listen, that happens when, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm I'm asking what I like to call baller milfs onto the show <laughs> because every woman I've had on the show is doing something amazing like you are and 10 other amazing things. And they're also raising human beings and probably have a partner at home. So it always gets rescheduled. And I just thank you so much for making the time. It's it's the holiday time and you're here and you showed up so gorgeous and glowing. And I literally like ran out of my <laughs> front door like a total nerd, like a 14-year-old fangirl, but I'm very excited. No, I needed that. I had this pretty major wisdom tooth surgery 11 days ago. And this is the first time I've like left my house, like really left my house. I'm still on liquids. And until like two days ago, my face was giant and green. So to get a little fangirl out of you and feel like a human being was actually kind of a win. Good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'll take it. So I kind of want to start from the beginning um, because I want to know more about like where you are from and your upbringing. So where did you grow up? Hmm. I grew up an hour outside of a town of 800 people in northern Minnesota. So I was literally born in a barn on 80 acres surrounded by forest and daisies and wildness. (laughs) Yeah, it was like Laura Ingalls in the 80s. And did you did you have siblings? I did. My um, my dad and my mom had myself and my brother, who's fifteen months older. And then they divorced when I was four. And my mother remarried a man that had three children already. So when they got together, he had an eight month old little girl, a three year old boy, and a six year old boy. So I grew up with them. So we were an eight month old girl, a, a three year old boy, myself, and then my two brothers were a year apart older than me. So as teenagers, we were 10, 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, So I grew up with five kids half the time. Um, My parents uh, had two weeks split custody. So it'd be two weeks with my mom and the, the giant family of crazy people. And then two weeks with my dad, who's like, a sloth, like a very silent sloth. <laughs> so it was very quiet half the time and very, very chaotic half the time. Wow. What was that like? It was wild. Was it? And they both lived in the same town still? Yeah. They made an agreement um, very early on when they split to stay in the same town until we graduated, which was a big promise to make to each other when they split. When, <laughs> when I was that young, they had a 14-year promise ahead of them. Um, but I think it was also a really really awesome move to make as parents. And they lived in the middle of nowhere. I mean, our, our town was 800 people. There was nothing there. And so, I mean, how big was your school? Your school must've been some tiny Tiny. little school. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because my daughter just went like officially, officially into school. And so we had to do the whole like LA school thing. And I'm like, you know, when I grew up, there was just one school and three towns had to come together to make that one school. And you either went to that school or you didn't go to school. There was no private school, public school, charter school. Magnet. No, I didn't even know what that stuff was. Yeah. So yeah, interesting process. It was good, except um, we lived so far in the middle of nowhere. I was on the school bus every morning for an hour just to get to that school. Wow. And it was freezing cold. Freezing cold. I grew up with 60 below winters. Oh, Like the kind where, you know, for fun. We'd go outside with a pot of boiling water and throw it in the air and it would snow. (laughs) For fun. No way. Yes way. 
Yeah, it was wild. You'd go outside and your nose would freeze. Like you'd breathe in and it would like solidify like a lake inside your head. crazy. And I'd, uh, I couldn't go out to the school bus with wet hair because it would just be all crispy. <laughs> and you have a lot of hair. I have you, a lot of it hair. It takes a long time to dry. Yeah, it takes hours to dry. Oh, yeah. Like I'm sitting on your couch. It's noon. <laughs> it's not <laughs> my, quite dry. My hair's still yeah. wet. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> growing up in that environment, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm already piecing together, like throwing the boiling water and the, like you're, you had a fascination with nature and science. Definitely. And you know, being in the 80s as it was when I grew up, we didn't have, I mean, we had just gotten cable like in the late 80s or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, we had none of that. I, I grew up with a record player. Yes. I had an outhouse until I was 14 <gasps> years old, like an actual outhouse with a star and a moon in the window. Like we wow. didn't have running water. We had 60 below winters and no running water. My dad had dug this well and they would pump water and then we would bring inside and we had a wood burning stove and we would boil the water on the wood burning stove after pumping it and after cutting up all the wood. It was it was insane. They they made a very intentional choice, but I had a very odd ch- childhood. <laughs> so fascinating. So so oh my gosh. So that's how you had water and that's how you stayed warm. And what did you do to occupy yourself other than throw boiling water in the freezing air? Well, you know, that takes a lot of time. <laughs> there well, we chopped wood. We wow. chopped wood, yeah. we boiled water, we cleaned, we did all the stuff to yeah. to wash laundry. We had to do all of that. We'd have to get the water and boil it. And we had, um, oh man, my brain is so fried. The wash buckets, oh, yeah. we had those. There's this picture that my husband keeps around because he just thinks it's hilarious. It's me as like an eight or nine-year-old doing the laundry. One, I'm an eight or nine-year-old doing the laundry, which is funny enough because um, I just feel like kids just don't do shit. Oh God, oh my kid. <laughs> right now. My child will not make his bed. Yeah. He does it at his dad's house. I think because okay. he's a little afraid of his dad. But here he's like, oh, I'm like, don't you want to make your bed? He's no, like, I'm on vacation. Yeah. 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 So, so there's this picture of me doing laundry and, and, and I'm in the yard with these two wash buckets doing the laundry, like really doing the laundry by hand. And, you know, it's like 1990. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy. So you grow up, you Mm -hmm. graduate high school in this small town. I left early. So I left home at 15. Okay. Um, which everything just kind of fast tracked for me because in, in my town, you either stay forever and, you know, have five kids by the time you're 20 or, or you have a meth habit or both. Um, so it's a, it's a tough place. It was a really beautiful place to grow up. So beautiful. It's the prettiest place in the world. And everybody's so friendly, you know, the Minnesota nice thing. It's like, it's it's a thing yeah yeah <laughs> um and so there's aspects that are that are really good but it's also incredibly conservative and i'm not and my family wasn't either we were the weird hippie family in this like little like farm town and uh and i was really really shy just brutally shy like very smart but terrified and so if i'd even get called on in class i just couldn't even like answer i couldn't even talk um and uh and i wasn't cool like we were super poor and um i had all these brothers and so i 
wore all their hand-me-downs. And so I was just this awkward, shy girl who never talked and wore boy clothes and had a mullet. And <laughs> it was just sort of awful. I was not, I was not set up to be successful as a cool kid. And, um, and then at, at one point I was just like, well, you know, fuck this. <laughs> I have a voice and I have something to say and I don't have to just like deteriorate here. And I had found this art school online um, that was that functioned like a college, um, but was still for high school. It was a two-year program for junior and senior kids um, outside Minneapolis, which was like three hours away. And, uh, and so I applied and I got in and I left. <laughs> At 15. At 15. Now, I mean, that takes balls. Yeah. Or ovaries, I should or say. It definitely takes ovaries. <laughs> yeah, it takes ovaries. It takes ovaries for sure. So, that so I is left home amazing. 15. And, uh, yeah, and then... And you lived in a big city. And I lived in a big city by myself. So I went from my town of 800 people um, to Minneapolis living on my own. What was your living situation in Minneapolis? So the first year, so it was a two-year program. And the first year I lived at the dorm. Okay. So I had a dorm. It really functioned exactly like a college. You had like your major and I majored in theater, which was hilarious because I was such an introvert. But that was that was the choice. I was making the choice. You're just going to do this. and that's it. That's what you're going to do. And, um, and then the second year I was like, I'm free. And I found, um, this friend of mine who was in my class, um, her stepdad was a long haul truck driver and he had this beautiful home in Minneapolis and he was gone almost all the time. And, but it was full of plants. It was like a jungle house. It was amazing. And he had a cat and he had all these plants and he was a long haul truck driver. And so he needed someone to be at the house. Wow, so that's perfect. At 16, 17, suddenly I had this big, beautiful house in Minneapolis by myself filled with plants and this cat and this truck driver who would just be gone forever. And then he would he would come back and it was funny. We had this great routine. He'd come back from being out of town and he would sit down with me at the table and he would pull out all the maps. And this was, you know, before there was really like right. the internet. Navigation or whatever, yeah. <laughs> and so, so they were physical maps. And, and he would show me all these routes across the U.S., of where he would go. And it was the coolest thing. Like there's so many amazing places in this country that are that are invisible to anyone but truck drivers. And so there was all these routes, like there's this route across, um, I believe it was in South Dakota. And you drive for hours and hours and hours and suddenly there's these gigantic metal birds, like these metal bird sculptures in the middle of nowhere, just in this field. And they're beautiful. They're just extraordinary, but they're as big as buildings and just like, a bunch of them. So bizarre. Just an art. Uh, yeah. Uh, In the middle of wow. nowhere. That's like nothing around for hours. Like you'd have to time your drive because you'd run out of gas before the next town um, because there was so much time in between. And I actually did run out of gas. I had to like stop at somebody's house and like, get gas one time. Um, but he would come home and he would do that. And then he would make, um, he would make hummus. And so when he would leave town, he would leave me with, you know, you remember those like, gallon pails of ice cream yes. so he would leave town with this he would leave me with a gallon of hummus and cheese and pickles and i lived on hummus and cheese and pickles Sounds good to me Sounds <laughs> similar to my diet now actually <laughs> um so yeah so so that's what i did i went from from my small town to there and then the second i turned 18 i got in my car and i came here um and so i moved to la as an 
18 year old and was homeless and living in my car for months and pursuing acting. I mean, is that, was that the impetus for you to come out? Really? I actually didn't pursue acting at all. Um, funny enough, I did that. I mean, really it was such a practice of, I just needed to know that I could speak Mm. and, and that it was okay. And just Mm. to get comfortable in my skin. And, Mm. and I think also growing up where I grew up, you know, I, the people I went into kindergarten with would have been the same people I would have graduated with. There's no chance in there to shift your identity at all. Who you are um, projected as, as a five-year-old, um, that's who you stay. And, and I'm not the same person I was as a five-year-old. Parts of me are. Um, but uh, I would have always been small in my town. And there's, there's nothing wrong with a small town, but I am not a small woman. And so I needed to be able to have the permission to be whoever I was and to find out who I was. And in that space, I couldn't even explore who I was. Um, it wasn't safe to. Right. Right. Well, yeah, in a very conservative place like that. I mean, Lord knows. When something you said earlier that was so profound to me and struck me was that you said when you were 15 and realized you needed to do this for yourself, that you said, fuck this, I have a voice. <laughs> I think that is, I want a t-shirt that says that. Yeah. <laughs> fuck this, I have a voice. Because I think that's something that as women, you know, I have a son who's very sensitive, cancer. We've already covered that. <laughs> and he's very comfortable with his voice and his feelings and owning things. And, and I'm proud of that because I want to raise um, who he will be a man who is sensitive to that and can honor that in other human beings as well. But I had always thought, you know, if I have a daughter, like it's even more important because that's something that in general, in our culture and in other cultures has been, it's changing now a lot, obviously, but, um, so I it think just that's gets so squashed great. out of you it so It really quickly. does. Yeah. My daughter is six, so I have a six-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy. And my daughter, it's been really interesting to, to watch her find and hide her voice, mm. even at six. And she is a thousand times more social than I ever was or ever will be. She's a totally different human being. Um, but so at her preschool, the girls were like very into princess stuff, which... I get. And like, uh, everybody goes through that, <laughs> you know, no matter how gender neutral you can try and raise your kids, sure. they, they are what they are. Oh, it's like, I mean, it's, my son, I don't, he just woke up one day and was like, guns. I'm like, what? Oh, you, yeah. I, I remember know what that listening to you talk about that before. It's, it's so funny. And yeah, my son too, he's obsessed with balls and trucks and the garbage truck comes out and it's like Christmas. It's, yeah. And my daughter just like, didn't even realize that garbage trucks existed. Yeah. So yeah, so I get that. But um, in her in her preschool, her her little group of friends were like very into princess stuff. And and I watched her before she went into preschool. She was like obsessed with like bugs and dirt and gardening and being out and stuff. And then she went there and then she came home one day and she was like acting afraid of a bee. And I'm like, Talia, I literally have a picture of you holding a bee like it's your pet and petting it from like a month ago. Yeah. She, and you're not scared of bees. And she's like, I know. <laughs> And, but it was just something she had just picked up. Like sure. girls are supposed to run when they see a bee and squeal. And sure. so she picked that up and she picked up a lot of other things there. And um, this fall, she just started at a new school and it's a totally different group of friends and it's a totally different kind of education. It's much more liberal and and they actually like garden and go outside and they're in their dirt and there's um, kind of a different thing. But she still, she does this thing with her voice where 
uh, I speak softly just by nature. And that's something I've just gotten more comfortable with. That's who I am and that's fine. But she will make her voice so tiny and she adopts it as this like character. And like, you can't understand her at all. She's like gibberish. You can't understand her. And she'll be saying the most beautiful things. And she's so smart and she's so on it. But she will make her voice visible. She will make herself so tiny. And it's it's totally a face. It's not real. And so we talk about that all the time. Talia, use, use your full voice. I want to be able to hear you use your full voice. And so it's this constant thing in my house right now is like helping her to remember that her whole, her full voice is good. And she's so like into this character voice that it's actually really hard for her to drop. Like she'll know that she's doing it and like, she can't get out of it. It's like, if you fake an accent too long, it's like, exactly. wait, how do I talk normal? I it, forgot what I said. Totally. Like. Totally. I used to go down to visit when my when my husband and I were married, he's from Louisiana. We'd go down to visit his family. And I would start saying, y'all this, yeah, just because you're immersed in it. And I think, yeah, that's interesting. Wow, that's so fascinating. So she's in that. And so I watch that and I go, okay, yeah. all right. I mean, she's got she's got the the natural innate personality that I know she'll get there and she'll own it. And she's so strong in herself in that way. It's, it's just the voice. Um, but I think because I had to work so hard to claim mine that I'm projecting. And so I'm like, all right, back off. She's not me. <laughs> well, it makes sense. You have that sensitivity to, yeah, sensitivity to that. I yeah. do. Yeah. Just, I want her to know that, that she can be all she is. Yeah. She doesn't have to turn it down for anybody. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you're 18, mm-hmm. you're in LA, mm-hmm. you're living in your car. <laughs> and what happens? <laughs> If I tell you all the things, they'll sound totally made up. (laughs) Yeah, I lived in my car and random places that I could crash. So, so I had a girlfriend with me for one, like a girlfriend, girlfriend. So I, I dated women um, at that time also. So we're just, we'll just go there. So, and, uh, and I had met her. um, So that was another thing in in my small town. There was no gay people. (laughs) I was just going to ask you, I'm sure. Where where I grew up. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know that was an option. Um, So we'll skip forward and then I'm married to a man currently. And so we'll come back to that. But, but growing up, I didn't even know gay people were a thing. I didn't know that that was, I also didn't know that like there was a people that weren't white and not from any kind of small minded way, just literally no exposure. So, so, so when I moved out of my town and moved to Minneapolis to an art school, Everybody was gay Your world or, burst open. or yeah. trying to be gay or figuring out if they were gay or certainly playing with the, like all colors of the spectrum there. And there was people from all over the state and from all different cultural backgrounds. And it was so cool. It was so cool. It was so much fun. Oh, sure. It was like and, an oasis in the desert. Yeah. I mean, the you. whole idea yeah. was that I can be whoever I want to be. Right. And I can figure out who I was. And and that was like such a wild thing because I had been like stuck in this. Well, she's kind of like the weird, like quiet outcast girl. And I'd been that for 15 years in, in my small town and to suddenly be somewhere where nobody knew I wasn't cool. And so I remember the first like couple weeks of school. So it's a two year, it was a two year program. And so there'd be like the second year kids and the first year kids. And so the second year kids would like talk about the first year kids who were coming in. And I started hearing that there was a name that they were using to describe me. And I was the girl with the fuck me eyes. 
And when I <laughs> what did first, you think when you heard oh that? Oh my God, my brain about exploded <laughs> because I was like untouchable. I right. was totally untouchable. I was like such an outcast. Like even if you had had any interest in me, you you wouldn't have been allowed to express it because mm. I was not cool. And so I was the girl who in like fourth and fifth grade, sixth grade, when people started like holding hands and experimenting with dating and, you know, crushes and whatever, the popular boys would talk to me as a joke they would say that they were going out with me as a joke and I'd get like excited for a day and and they'd like call me and be like, you want to go out with me? And I, you know, I'd say yes. That's and then so I would find cool. out it was a joke. Yeah, they were really mean. Oh, those little fuckers. Total little fuckers. But <sighs> I also, on my hour-long school bus ride, well, they were the worst, um, the older kids would throw maggots in my hair. What? Maggots. God, that is Maggots. so horrifying. Is that not the most honey. horrific thing? Oh my god! I think about that now, and I imagine someone doing that to my daughter, and oh, like kill them. I would, yeah, I would kill them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, so they were just awful. So I'd come from that, and suddenly I'm in this school, and I'm like, just kind of like finding my way, and like, yeah. oh wow, this is like such a different and territory. Respected you. It sounds like you you felt respect. Well, and they just saw me different. I mean, j- yeah. just the idea. And even and again, fact, like, not I mean, it's funny. Fuck me eyes is respectful. No, it's, it, I mean, it's not, it's but it cool was cool at that age. It's at like that kind age, of a, it was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, is someone, right. Is someone sees sexually me attracted at to all, me or sees me or as just a sexual sees me being? At all. Yeah. Just period sees me. Wow. And because uh, even in my little town where I was clearly not invisible because nobody can be invisible when there's that few people, um, I was still totally invisible. Mm. And to be somewhere where in like the first handful of days I'm even there, there's like <laughs> a nickname yeah. for for who I am. Uh, anyway, I just thought it was, it was funny. Um, and they just, you know, they didn't know. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, and so right off the bat, I was like dating people and... Um, and that, that was just such a, a, a different thing, but it really was like a playground and, um, yeah. And there was like boys interested in me for the first time and there were girls interested in me. And that was cool because I had liked both and couldn't do anything about either. Mm. And so suddenly it was like, I'm free in a candy Ugh. store. <laughs> and so it was Thank very, God. it was a wild little chapter yes. for yes. me, but a, a really, really important one. Yeah. Anyway, going back to being homeless in my car. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. With your year, girlfriend. With my At girlfriend. At least you weren't alone. That's I wasn't good. alone. Yeah. And so the actually the um the day that I graduated from that school, I met her um at um a graduation party. And had she been a student there as well? She hadn't, but okay. she had had friends that were. Got it. Okay. And so uh, anyone who grew up in the Midwest can probably identify with these kinds of parties where there would just be a field with a bonfire in the middle of it somewhere, and everybody would like drive through the field in a truck to the fire and all these underage kids would be drinking, drinking. and making out. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so, that sounds so fun. That's what happens when you grow up in, you know, small town Midwest. Um, the highlights. And so this was one of those parties and, and I got there and uh, she was sitting across the fire and I saw her from across the fire and I was like, oh, that one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and by the end of the night, um, I had told her that, you know, like the second I turned 18, which was in like a day or two, um, that I was getting in my car and I was just heading west and I was just going to go until I ran out of money or hit the ocean or whichever happened first. Wow. And so you didn't have a plan. You there just, was no plan. It was just get the fuck out. Yeah. 
Because yeah. even though that school had been great and was really, really powerful for me, um, I barely went my second year. I was mm. just so done. I was just ready to, yeah. I was just ready to go yeah. um, do something else. And, uh, and so when <laughs> I asked her if she would go home with me that night, she was like, um, are you taking me with you? On your trip? On, like <gasps> when you go, go. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, then yeah. And so I picked her up from her parents' house like two days later with all of her things and we took off and uh, she was with me on that adventure for a couple of years. It was great. Wow. And was that, may I ask, was that your first love? Um, no. There were? No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> my first love was a man um, who I met when I was 14, actually, and who wasn't in my town. So it was before, before I went to that school, but also he didn't know who I was. We met right. at a concert. Uh, right. <laughs> so um, same kind of thing. When I was able to just be who I was, such a different place. And so, yeah, he was he was my first love. Um, I've known him for 20 years now. We still stay in touch. Oh, uh, so he's nice. he's very special. And this woman who went on this adventure with me, she was not my first girlfriend, but she was the first one who like really like <laughs> was fully on board with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so what happened on this adventure? You guys yeah, made so we, it out here. We made it out here uh, in a very haphazard kind of way. We we started on the trip. We didn't know each other at all. We'd known each other for like a week, and <laughs> oh. um, and crash course, total crash course. <laughs> and uh, so, like a day into the drive, uh, she was. She, it came up that she'd never actually left the country before, and it was like, oh. Okay, so I took a right, and we went to Canada first. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and and you didn't need a passport or anything then, so it was really helpful. And so we went to Canada, and then the car broke down, and we got stuck in this small town in Canada for a couple of weeks, and like waiting on I don't know a radiator or something, right. something vital right. that we didn't have that they didn't have in the town. Right. <laughs> and so we had an adventure there, and then yeah, ultimately landed in LA, and didn't have any money. And then realize that as 18-year-olds with no in-state connections, it was impossible to get somewhere to live. I had like just enough money where I could have paid a deposit on an apartment if somebody would have given one to us. Right. But nobody would give one to us because we didn't have anyone in-state or an in-state job. And then I couldn't get a job without an address. And, without an address, and I couldn't get an address without a job. And so we just found ourselves in this like cycle. Yeah. Um, and also... We found, um, well, one, we didn't have any money. And so we were looking in really low-income places. And when me and my girlfriend would walk in, it were two super young white girls yeah. that are clearly a couple. Um, we just had people over and over, like, say straight to us, like, you wouldn't be safe here. Mm. You can't, you can't live here. Yeah. And sometimes they wouldn't say you wouldn't be safe here, but we knew that's what they meant. Yeah. And they also wouldn't say directly, you're not welcome here. But that was also very clear. Wow. And so we were just forced to live in our car. And so we would just sleep in the car and we would park in hospital parking lots and then we'd get kicked out of hospital parking lots and then we'd park in neighborhoods and then there would be neighborhood watch. And it was sort of awful. And, um, and that went on for a really long time. And every once in a while, we'd meet somebody who would take us in or let us sleep on a couch for a little bit or something. But by then, like we had gone through all of our money. We had nothing left. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, I don't know if this is still true, but there wasn't overnight women's shelters. Mm. Um, there was overnight men's shelters, but there wasn't overnight women's shelters and they didn't want the liability. So there there was no option for us outside of that. 
And uh, we were trying so hard, like every day, all day, we'd be out trying to get jobs and nobody would hire us for anything. And um, finally, there there was a resource that was really helpful, which was um, a place for women um, and women with children to go um, where they could just eat and use computers and take a shower. And so we would go there and um, and they would give us these grocery bags of food. They'd give us two grocery bags of food twice a week. And so we mostly lived off that. And it wow. would be like, here's a can of potatoes. We're going to mix it with a can of corn and that's going to be a meal. And that was, um, yeah, that was how we ate for, for a long time. I have this soft spot for um, butterfingers because yeah. in the bottom of each of those bags, there'd be a butterfinger. And so it was like, it was like gold. Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really interesting time. And, but through that service, um, I met a woman who got me an interview to um, be a, uh, basically a teacher, an instructor at, um, at a center for um, adults with disabilities. And I had grown up, my little brother was developmentally disabled. And so I had been um, a caregiver for him and I had trained in that and, um, and been part of his uh, education as a young person. That was one of my teenage jobs. And, uh, and so I had a little bit of history and a lot of heart and passion yeah. about it. And so I got an interview and they hired me. It's also incredibly low minimum wage. <laughs> I can imagine, job especially back then. It was yeah. probably, like, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I think it was like seven fifty oh an hour or something insane for a really hard, really, really yeah. difficult job. And so I had a, a classroom of, um, 20 something adults wow. from 21 years old to 92 wow. years old was my spectrum with all types of developmental disabilities. And just you? You do have an assistant? In my classroom. Just your own? So there was multiple classrooms. But I mean, that was was my class. Wow. I mean, that just, to me, that seems like a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. And and probably half of my class didn't speak English at all or very well. Wow. And and I didn't really speak Spanish. Such a practice. but really important. And, and it gave me, and it gave me a job while working there. One of the other instructors there, he was living in a garage. Um, and he let my girlfriend and I share his garage (laughs) and he was illegal. And so it was always this like really nerve wracking thing. It's like, well, now we're sharing half of a garage with this man who's illegal and but such a beautiful soul yeah and um there were just so many stories like that and then at one point i had this brilliant idea what if we just sleep on a sailboat because uh you know the uh, i don't know what the word is but the the rent basically for like you know where to post your sailboat is like only like a couple hundred dollars a month or something and i'm like i have a couple hundred dollars a month now i have a job i can afford that and and I had found this sailboat on Craigslist for like $800 or something. And it was like, I can, you know, it was tiny. It was a 12 foot sailboat. All I needed was, yeah. because I was like, it's the perfect solution because then there's showers at the dock. Um, you can get a mail slot um, so we could have an address. We'd just sleep on the water in this little 12 foot boat. Like it's, it's very funny, creative. but it's yeah. kind of romantic. Yeah. And so I just thought I was brilliant. So I, you know, took all of our money and bought this sailboat and got the slip. And the month later, they changed the law. No. 
and said, you can't sleep on your boats in the marina oh, anymore. God. And so then I had this boat and I had this, exp- it was, and then I tried to sell the boat on Craigslist and this guy fucked me and oh. like took the boat and never paid. And oh. <laughs> it was just a series of these things. So that went on, that went on. There was more, more iterations of that than, than I could probably go mm. into. Um, and then we went to Mexico. Because we went, you know, being poor and next to homeless in L.A. is actually really rough. And maybe it'll be better in Mexico. Mm. (laughs) My 18-year-old brain. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So one day we, you know, after saving up for a little bit, we um, packed up just a backpack, just one backpack, and got on a bus and went to Mexico. And we spent the next several months doing that. We went all down one coast and all on the Guatemala border and all the way up the other side. And, and it actually was much better to be homeless in Mexico. Mm. It turns out there's a lot more people who will take you in mm. and um, clearly much less expensive to feed yourself. We could go to the market and just get a piece of bread and some tomatoes and avocado. And that yeah. was a meal yeah. and it was a better meal than we'd been having. Yeah. Yeah. So those adventures continued for, for a while. And and then we just kind of ran out of steam and went, all right, what's, what's next? And we'd made our way all the way um, back up the other coast of Mexico and the next bus out went to New Orleans. Um, so like, well, cool. We've yeah. never been to New Orleans. Yeah. So we got on the bus and we went to New Orleans and both ended up getting a job at a restaurant. And, um, and I had previously worked in restaurants. I'd been working in restaurants since I was 13. So I started mm-hmm. working real young. Um, I had a couple of my own little side businesses before that at like eight and nine. You that's did? A whole Wait, what was, give me at least one. I need a taste. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, there's a couple. So okay. my first one was I started a greeting card company when I was eight or nine. Um, my, my dad, he's so cute. He still makes these greeting cards um, that are just made of other people's greeting cards. So anyone who sends cards to my dad um, and into me at the time um we just would save them all in this box and then when it was uh you know the time for someone's birthday or graduation or christmas or or whatever you'd go into the box and you'd and you'd cut it up and you'd you know paste it together with something else and you'd staple yeah. the things together and then you'd put it on construction paper and then you'd paint it and you you know whatever yeah. and so i made a company smile five cards that is amazing <laughs> that is amazing and i had a i had a little suitcase and uh, and I would put my cards in it and I would go door to door and I would sell these little greeting cards. That's incredible. You were so, full on entrepreneur at oh, eight yeah. years old. That was my thing. And um, and and I, I mentioned that I'd grown up in this field of daisies. And so my brothers played baseball. And so I'd go and I'd pick daisies and I'd bring this like bucket of daisies to the baseball games and I'd sell daisies. And then Smart. when I was 12, I started um, a stepping stone company. So, you know, those like, cement mm, things that yeah. you walk on in a garden. To yeah, make yeah, garden yeah. Path. So I made those. So I'd have like a, you know, a big thing of cement and a wheelbarrow and stir it. It was <laughs> insane. It was so That's heavy incredible. and nuts. And then I but would But you were make, determined. I was so you super had determined. the strength yeah. to do it. Yeah. And both my parents were entrepreneurs. And so I, mm. it never occurred to me to work for someone else. And it always mm. occurred to me to work. And so I just had these these things and so and then I would build these frames and then I'd pour the cement into it 
Um, I hurt myself so many times. <laughs> and my then, bed, because it's heavy. So heavy. Cement is crazy yeah. heavy, especially when it's wet. My mom and stepdad's house, there was a river going through our yard. And so I'd pull these river rocks out of the river. And then I would make these patterns in the cement that were like this lizards and things. I can't even. This is so amazing. That is amazing. Oh my gosh. It all makes sense though now. But wow, that's amazing. Why was I talking about that? Well, because... <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. And then I was working in restaurants. So when restaurants. I was actually um, somewhat legitimate, old enough to work, you can work in a family restaurant, I think, when you're 13 or 14, I think. And um, I think the first year I wasn't actually allowed to. And so they would just like pay me an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really care because I just wanted to work. And yeah. so I started working in restaurants when I was 13 or 14 and um, did that all through all through high school. Um, and then came back to it when I got into New Orleans. Were you guys in the French Quarter? Where were you living? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> once we had a home, right. when we first landed there, it was real rough. We lived actually on in a hotel. It's the hotel where all the um, the street performers in New Orleans that paint themselves silver. Yeah. Where they stay. Oh. And no one will let them stay anywhere because they leave silver tra- silver traps everywhere <laughs> they go. It's a funny thing. <laughs> you don't think about these like job hazards. Yeah, because they're just like covered in silver sure. paint. It's everywhere. It's on the they're sheets. A mess. Yeah. And so the only hotel that would let them stay was this hotel um, on this street in New Orleans. It's the highest crime street in the country. Which street is it? My mind is so blinking right now, but it's. I, I think I can think of it too, but it's. It's, it's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> It's not nice. I know the it's, quarter a little bit. It's not New Orleans yeah. that you want to imagine. No. It's, it's, it's no, not, it's, it's, it's yeah. real seedy. Yeah. And, um, and they let us stay there for very cheap. <laughs> so, um, and we didn't have any money. And so I had to kind of talk them into it. And so that felt real shady too. And it was like, but I got a job. I got a job. And as soon as I have a paycheck, I'll pay. And I'm sure that that's what they heard from every street sure. performer too. And so we just kind of followed what other homeless people did yeah. is kind of how we'd been for, you know, a couple of years yeah. um, prior to that. And what's interesting is like homeless people come together in community in a way that you don't know. Like mm. they're, they share resources. Oh, there's a meal happening over here and there's a shower over here. Mm. And uh, yeah, that was a world that for a moment I got plugged into. That's interesting because, you know, not having that, just for me and living where I live and seeing the amount of homeless. And I, and I know I've talked about this before in LA since I've lived in LA 20 years mm-hmm. or come, yeah, 20 years, gosh, 20 years. And I've watched it get worse and worse in the last several years. And it's just heartbreaking in the tents and the this and, and normally previously I've thought that like, Oh gosh, it just feels, it feels being on the outside in my totally privileged life, my very white privileged life, that it's just every man for itself, for himself or herself. Um, every woman or man for himself or herself. (laughs) Um, but I do see that a little bit with these tenting communities. Like I can see even just the community. I mean, yeah, I just, Anyway, I, that's interesting that you had that very personal journey and that personal insight into. And I forget sometimes because now I am on the privileged side of things and I, and I forget. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, and, and even then, like, we were still weirdo outcasts. Yeah. We were still, like, this weird girl couple. Right. Like, we had shaved heads. We just had, we had all the things, yeah. like, <laughs> going for us. And, um, but we, so we were staying at this hotel, and it was awful. And apparently our room had been, like, I don't know, <laughs> where you go to get drugs for a long time oh or something. God. And so all night long, people would just be banging on the door, just, like, banging on the door like with all their force trying to get in to sure. our room sure and the room was so awful like we would come in at night and we'd turn on the lights and you would just see thousands of cockroaches scatter. just scatter just ah! it was so gnarly it was really 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 gross and so scary and how long yeah. did you stay there we we were probably in that hotel for a few months and then one night at a bar we all these stories are going to sound totally made up when I did a bar we met this guy who was like well that sounds awful you should come stay at this house that we have where there's a bunch of random people staying and it's it's still weird but it's probably safer than where you you are (laughs) still weird oh yeah yeah still weird it was so much weirder than where we were it was um it was a house of vampires no (gasps) yeah so New Orleans, you hear these things and it's like, that can't be real. That can't be real. We ended up staying in this house with people who identified as vampires. It was the craziest. Okay, wait. I, I need to know so much about this. It so was what, so creepy. The, okay. <laughs> so I have so many questions. Did they... Were you? What did you think we were going to talk about today? By the way? Oh my god, not this! <laughs> this is like so juicy and amazing. Um, but that's why I love this show because I have no agenda. Whenever I meet a woman, I I'm just either. like whatever, whatever comes. It's always the most beautiful <laughs> gift because I just I don't know what it is supposed to be. But um, so were you? Did you have to identify as any certain? thing like a vampire or non-vampire to live there no. or did they just let you stay there but they no. were so there was like the woman in the house who was like was there prostitution involved in that no, house okay but just the, because you said woman of the house that no, made me feel like okay. she was yeah i don't know she was the woman of the house got and, it okay and she i think she really wanted my girlfriend yeah <laughs> i think is what it was i think she you know, my girlfriend was candy and whether she actually wanted to like eat her, I'm not sure. I don't right. know what, <laughs> there was right. a dynamic. Both eat her, so have like, sex well, with her. Like, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever it was. All the things. But you're allowed to stay here because you've got her. And it got was like, it. all right, well, okay. It's closer to work. All right. Yeah. Less commute time. I mean, I have to give a pint of blood a day. I'm very but practical. <laughs> And it was awful. I mean, everything was, it was so awful. Were, like, were there meals was, served at this house or did they just no, drink blood? I mean, I, they would just go out sometimes and be like, all right, well, we're going to go get some blood. And we'd be like, <laughs> you can't be serious. Like, are you to just fucking with that? Like, I don't, I don't actually understand. <laughs> and so it, I would have just thought it was completely crazy, except that house was insane. Like there would be like plates would go flying across the room. So wait, like, it was it haunted? Was, it was, I don't know. I don't know what was happening, but there or was... they had a special effects technician They either had the a floor. special effects te- technician <laughs> or, or there was some crazy shit going yeah, on. Yeah, but yeah. they would disappear. They would disappear for days. And, Did and they then, sleep in coffins? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, they, you know, they looked like 
normal, messed up white people living in a super poor black neighborhood. It didn't make any sense. It was... <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. It was It was something. And um, the the taxi drivers wouldn't take you there. Like we would finish work late at night and um, that part of the city wasn't like even like safe for taxi drivers to go to. And so we'd tell them where we wanted to go because we'd be working the French Quarter and then we'd be like, we need to go over to this district. And they'd be like, no. Wow. <laughs> and so we'd walk home. Oh. And so we'd walk home. We'd walk like an hour. Oh. <laughs> in like the So she worked in the area. same uh, we worked in the same restaurant, restaurant yeah, um, for for a while, and then, and then at some point we broke up, and oh. then I moved out and left her alone with the vampires for a minute, which was like, oh god, I'm the worst. <laughs> well, you were nineteen, <laughs> twenty, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and then I and then I fell in love with my boss, who was our boss, <laughs> and moved in with him. So I'm sure it was I'm sure it was great for her. <laughs> yeah it all it all ended up working out then through being with him um during that relationship um I started doing other things I started working as in uh, I was still cooking and I was still working in restaurants because that was really my heart but I moved to, uh out of that restaurant into a better restaurant so I could like really cook um because so you were cooking in this restaurant so the first restaurant I was waitressing and I really didn't want to do that I wanted to cook um, but, uh, you know, the, that industry is so funny, funny is not accurate. It's, it's aggressive and it's yeah. very male. And, and I was a young, pretty white girl. And, um, and so I would interview at these places and they'd be like, well, you can host, Ugh. you can wait tables. Right. We like what you look like out here. And I was like, no, I want to cook. Mm -hmm. I really want to cook. And, uh, and I was out to dinner at one of Emeril Lagasse's restaurants um, with my boyfriend one night and we just had the most fabulous meal. And I was like, told my, the waiter, I was like, can you please have the chef come talk to us? Cause I just want to say thank you for this meal. And the chef came out and I was just kind of gushing at him about the meal. And I was like, look, I've been trying to cook. And like, I've been cooking since I could walk, like food is what I do. And I really just want to cook. And he's like, cool. You want to come cook? Be here Monday. <laughs> and oh. I was like, really? And yeah. And so I started. So I and started that's cooking. like a nice restaurant. It was a nice restaurant. And, but it was an all black male kitchen. Interesting. And me. So how were you received in that element? <sighs> like a girl. Yeah. And so they had me on the end, like it was an open kitchen. And so I'd be, um, I'd be like, making desserts and making the desserts beautiful so I took a lot of pride in it I made the most beautiful desserts you could ever make and it was like fine you're gonna put me with like the flowers and the fruit sauces I will make yeah. art out of these yeah. flowers and fruit sauces and but then it was obnoxious because when the kitchen wasn't open to the public then they'd have me cook and so they knew I could cook and so when you know, when the public wasn't there, I'd be making sauces and I'd be, you know, coming up with things and I'd be, you know, coming up with like, I don't know, I'd be cooking. And then like when, when the doors would open, it was like, all right, back to the dessert station. Oh, <laughs> and do you think that was because there was a hierarchy in the kitchen? And no, the because I eventually at one point when I left, when I ultimately left that kitchen, I looked down the line and I had trained every person on it. They wow. had all passed through my station and I had worked all of those stations. 
And I looked down the line and it was like, yeah, I'm just going to forever be this, just like, just this woman. And that's problematic for me. Mm -hmm. I'm quiet, but I have, I have my own ideas. I was just going to say, you're, you are, but you have a certain kind of quiet. You're not. You're also very explosive in your creativity. Just having sat with you for however long we've been sitting here and then knowing what your business is and how you lead your life and stuff. It's inter that's a very Gemini. That's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely split personality. So while I had been working there, I was also working crazy hours. I was working like 80 hours a week um, because I would work, I would work the morning shift. I'd be there like before sunrise and then I would ride my bike home and take my dog for a walk and ride my bike back and do a second shift. Wow. And so I I was hardly sleeping. I was working all the time. And I just thought, you know, if I just show up enough, like I will prove myself and I'll be taken seriously. And then I'll really, really be able to do this. And this is such a great opportunity. And we made such excellent food and, you know, and it was a place with a great reputation. And, um, and there was various, um, restaurants in that family so there was opportunity for growth and um you know being a cook in new orleans is always taken pretty seriously i could go anywhere and so i knew that there was a lot of opportunity there but it was also really soul crushing yeah in a lot of ways to just know so clearly that i wasn't held back by anything except that i'm woman and i'm white and i'm female Mm. and i had to take on such a kind of um masculine kind of persona I had to be much more like outwardly aggressive than Mm. I am as a person and to balance that I had started um working as an art model um for for artists Mm. um in New Orleans and and I had just kind of come up and part of that was my own like kind of growth and my own identity too and being comfortable with with being seen still was was a thing like I'm still here I still Mm. like this like um, and not feeling attractive necessarily, but just seen mm-hmm. and the ability to be female and in art that was so celebrated. And so I could go sit with a painter and, and be literally just in my skin. Yeah. And I was a nude model for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'd be working with these artists and they just saw me they just saw my beauty and mm-hmm. they just saw my energy and they didn't need anything from me except for me to just be in presence with them. I had started doing that just as kind of an outlet, just to balance this like very male force. That was my every day. And I would go sit with these artists and I would be completely in my feminine. Mm. And I was a painter too. um, And I love that part and I love to paint. I'm also totally allergic to paints. <laughs> so oh. which, you know, we'll get into the skin yes. skin story yes. eventually. But um and so I had to I had to stop painting because I would get these like blisters and mm. rashes and it just didn't work for me. For <laughs> it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And uh so it's just a part of food. Me. You have to yeah. paint with organic uh substances. Exactly. Yeah. And and I tried doing that on paper. It didn't really pan out. <laughs> so so it was just this outlet and and I had um worked with a, a number of artists in that way and then I started working with photographers in that way and then these photographers and, and different artists that would do this really fine art work with me um some of them also worked in fashion and so at a certain point 
um, some of them would be like, oh, you'd actually be perfect for this like totally mainstream Mm. thing. And Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, that's weird. That never occurred to me as a thing that I could do. Right. How Um, old were you at this point? I was 20. And still living in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so also there wasn't like a big fashion market there or something, but there was a number of um, photographers who had second homes in New Orleans and would be there doing their art. And they were actually like really great, like fashion or beauty photographers who who also lived in New York or in London or wherever they were. And so they started using me on real projects and it was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I wasn't very available because I was working all the time in these kitchens. Right. And then they'd want me for like a job. And they'd be like, well, I can't. I'm working. And they were like, well, it pays X. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, fuck. That's yeah. like a lot more than <laughs> you make in a month. Probably. Than what I'm yeah. making in a month. Yeah. And so I started saying yes sometimes to things like that and not with any aspiration of like, oh, I really want to be a model. Um, but again, it was kind of a practical thing. It was like, well, I'm already doing this for free yeah. just as an outlet. Yeah. And if they want to pay me and pay me more. Yeah. And I'm not really being like fulfilled in what I want to do with cooking anyway. Yeah. Sure. Let's try it. Yeah. Um, and during, during that chapter of just sort of feeling out what it looked like to have both of those worlds in action at the same time. Um, my boyfriend at the time, both of his parents within two weeks of each other were diagnosed with cancer oh. and they lived in New York. And so we made the decision to leave. To, to go to New York to yeah. be with them. And so suddenly it was like, okay, well now I'm leaving this job anyway that yeah. I probably wouldn't have left because I really was just <laughs> trying so hard to just make it work there. Yeah. Um, but now I was going to leave anyway. And so there was no risk. And so the idea was, all right, well, let's try saying yes a little bit more to these opportunities that are coming up, you know, both in the art world and in the mainstream modeling world. Um, and see what it looks like to do this in a city where this actually exists. When I need to, I'll just go get another cooking job. Mm -hmm. And I've been here long enough that I should be able to get hired somewhere decent. And uh, yeah, and what happened was I never went back to the kitchen. Modeling turned into this kind of weird accidental career. Yeah, It wasn't something I tried to do. It was something that just kind of kept happening. Yeah, And then I looked up one day and I'd been doing it for five years. Um, and I realized, you know, this isn't what I want to do. Um, but now I don't know what else to do. And now I have this five-year gap in my resume. Mm. And as it was even before that, walking into a kitchen, being who I was, it was hard to be taken sure. seriously. And I couldn't walk into a professional kitchen and say that and you'd ex- been modeling and for five say years. I'd been modeling yeah. for five years. There was just no way. And I had also really realized that the only way I was ever going to do food was going to be on my terms. And so if I was ever going to work in a restaurant again, I wasn't going to work in a restaurant and be treated the way that I had been. Mm. And I wasn't going to support that or just, you know, shut my mouth about it. Or And you're how old by realizing this? This is Early amazing. 20s. I mean, that is incredible. Yeah, well. <laughs> really? I mean, that's just to know yourself that deeply at that level. I mean, obviously from between then and now you've deepened that even further and you've become a mother and, you know, but that's really profound at that age. I I don't know. I didn't have that kind of knowing at that age. You should go live in a car for some years. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, true. Maybe start out in a barn. True. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of things that, that fueled some pretty strong early independence. So yeah. um, I admire it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And also I feel just, like I'm ancient. <laughs> I felt like I'm like a hundred since I was like eight. So that's my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up. So it, it brought me, it brought me to sort of like this, this funny thing where at like, you know, 25, I was like, what the fuck am I doing with myself? Which I think every 25 year old does, but it, it felt more like a midlife crisis to me. Sure. Cause you've lived <laughs> so much. Like, you've done so much. And, and I yeah. put so much towards this career that yeah. wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm. And then I'd put so much towards this other career that I didn't actually want and, but was still happening. Yeah. And and also I was really allergic to being a model, which is a, a funny thing. So besides it not really being a passion of mine. I was really allergic to being a model too. I, it was not I mean, for me. Not, no, for so many reasons, but physically allergic. I have crazy sensitive skin. Oh, oh okay. And yes. so I'd right. be sitting in the makeup chair and, and I was booked mostly for beauty. So it's just straight up my face. And so I'd be sitting in this chair and they'd start putting makeup on my face and you could watch it. You could watch it happen. They'd start this, they'd apply the makeup and I would start getting these rashes and I would turn red and get blisters and my skin would just freak out. It wasn't like breakouts. It wasn't pimples. It was rashes and redness. And and so I had this weird career where um, when I was doing that, I could do like one job and then I'd have to take a break and then I'd do another job and I'd have to take a break. And so I was in wow. this constant like recovery thing. And so luckily, you know, when I worked, it was, it was good. Yeah. But it also just made for this weird thing where it was like, I'd sit in the chair and I, my skin would just crawl oh. and, and I'd leave and I'd be in this like state of like recovery oh. and like taking care of myself. And, yeah. um, and so it physically didn't work for my body. Um, and it was still another place where it was still, it was still always about what I looked like, you know, and that had been, that had just always been a thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe that's just life. It's always a thing, right? Like when I was a kid, because there was this idea around who I was, I could never be cool. And mm-hmm. then when I was in art school, it was like, oh, free for all, anything goes. And yeah. there was like this, this wildness. And then I was like homeless and couldn't get out of that. But we were like, not even like normal homeless people. We were like two girls with like, yeah you know, white skin and shaved heads yeah. And <laughs> yeah. living in a car and yeah. And then working in a kitchen, like looking like I look, I just was never taken seriously. Yeah. And then, and then that thing that was like a downside to everything else comes in and puts me, you know, in a positive, positive ish mm-hmm. um, place in a career that I didn't really want mm-hmm. and uh, wasn't really passionate about. But then I didn't know what else to do. Mm. And I knew that I couldn't go cook in somebody else's kitchen. Mm. And I didn't really have any other skills. I'd cooked forever. I'd, that was my world. And, and I'd just been like a model. Like, what mm. am I going to do with that? And so I started working as a makeup artist because that's what you do when you've been a model and you right. don't want to model anymore. And, um, and then I was like, well, what, what do I want to be as a makeup artist? Like, what, what can I do different? How can I not be the person that's putting makeup on girls and making their skin crawl. Mm. And so then I really made it my mission to really honor the girls that were in my chair to let that be a place of relationship building and connection. And so then I tried to give them all the love. And so whoever was in my chair, both in terms of really just honoring who they were and not just like 
okay, next blonde. Up. Yeah. Um, but also what I was putting on their skin. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, this was the mid to late 2000s, there really wasn't much happening in green beauty. Green beauty was not a term. It wasn't right. something that people were talking about or doing. There was only a couple of makeup artists at the time um, who were working with natural products. And there was very few natural products. There wasn't great brands to choose from. There wasn't anything like what there is now. Yeah. And so I had this weird um, mishmash kit where like I would just make stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I would go to set and I would, I looked like a painter. I'd have this like paint box of these like random pigments mixed with oils. And, and I would basically finger paint the models, um, with these things that I had made. And, and then I'd talk to them with love. And I was like this weird, <laughs> this Aww, totally weird girl. That sounds um, so amazing. So it was nice in a way. And it was a beautiful little chapter. Yeah. Um, but then like, you know, the hair person would come over and like douse us both in hairspray and, and still like call for like, all right, booby blonde, get over here. Like it was, it was yeah. still that world. Sure. Um, and so even though I was like doing all that I could to be like a little positive drop in the bucket um within it it still was not um where i wanted to be but during that time what was helpful was there was a lot of people who had seen what i was doing in that little corner and they'd see these random little potions that i would bring and they would after doing that for a while i had had enough people sit me down and tell me that if i didn't start bottling this and really doing that part for real that i was an idiot and it took a while for that message to sink in mm-hmm. because um, I was really opposed to doing anything to do with sales, sure. anything to do with retail. Like growing up with my like funny hippie parents, like yeah. they wouldn't even let me sell like, you know, chocolates or whatever at Christmas to like raise money for the choir. Like yeah. you, like we don't sell things yeah. in our family. It's yeah. just not. Um... <laughs> so I had this really big barrier uh, around making money through yeah. selling a product. Yeah. Um, which was interesting because I'd also been a model where <laughs> I was the product right. or something like that. But I had to get over it because I didn't know what else to do. I I kept hitting these walls and I was really unhappy and and I was just in like not great relationships and just kind of spinning out. Just didn't know where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And and when it was finally like, all right, well, what if I what if I just tried? What if I just took like a couple of these like oils and masks and things that, that I've been making? Oh, and also, so on, on the side outside of this, like not as a career thing, but just as a side thing. So I have this crazy sensitive skin that I've had since I was a little girl. Um, like one of my very first memories was being uh, about my daughter's age, like five or six and going to a friend's house for the first time and washing my hands at their sink before dinner and burning my hands on the soap. Oh my god. On the gosh. actual soap itself. Just what washing kind my hands. Of soap was it? I don't know. Just regular conventional soap. But I'd grown up in this hippie household where, right. you know, I don't know what my parents were using, but it wasn't right. You know, it wasn't normal. Right. <laughs> and so right. or I, Dr. Bronner's, right. which is I, now household, yeah, but back then it I'd wasn't. Grown up place, green yeah. before green was sure. green. Yeah. And um so so it was the first time that I'd ever used like conventional soap because I wasn't in school yet. And so, right. you know, I hadn't been exposed to like commercial detergents. And so I'm washing my hands and I just, you know, no big deal. Washing my hands before dinner was my first night, like being at a friend's house without my parents there. 
And I'm washing my hands and I start screaming, just screaming. And I was so terrified. I was like, what is happening? I'm just washing my hands and they're on fire. And my friend's parents came running into the room and my hands were all red and kind of welting from just this soap. Wow. And, uh, and so thus began this, um, this kind of exploration within myself of what I'm able to use and ingredients that I can use and products that I can use. So mm. that was kind of the undercurrent that went through, mm. um, through all of those years, um, which also contributed to a lot of like discomfort in my body and my identity. And I was just scared of everything. I was scared to touch everything. Of course, after that experience, my gosh, that's so traumatizing for a small child. And uh, so it just made this interesting thing. So growing up, um, as a kid, like my, my parents were great. My mom was like, all right, well, you can't use any of that stuff. Cool. We'll just make something or like find the things that we can use. And so, um, so it started as this kind of form of play. Mm. Um, you know, we, my mom and I would like, we'd go to the river and we'd pull clay out of the river. Now we've got a mask fun, you know? Mm. And, um, there was, there was little things like that. And then, you know, really, really simple things. And then I would go to the library and I'd find, you know, these books on like how to make a, a lotion or something. And so I would make stuff. And yeah. so that was part of my childhood play. And then as I grew into my teenage years, I really started to get more interested in it because my skin was really an issue. Mm. And um, and it wasn't just my issue. My mom has my same skin. My My grandfather has my same skin. So it goes back in our family tree. And uh, so I wanted to not just know like what to avoid, but really how I could actually help to heal this mm. and make it better. And so I'd started really studying plant medicine and um, the properties of plants and minerals and, um, you know, aromatherapy and Eastern medicine and Western medicine and like all the different things. And just looking back through all of, you know, beauty anthropology, really looking back for thousands and thousands of years, what have we been doing since forever? Mm. Um and trying to learn from that and bring that forward. So that was sort of a side thing that I had always done since I was a child. And then through my teen years and through my 20s, I started to take it a lot more seriously. When I was um, when I first came out here um, to LA with my girlfriend and we were living in the car, my entire body freaked out, just totally freaked out. It was, it was so it was so awful. Um, it was like I was covered head to toe in blisters. Oh. Like it looked like I had walked through a radioactive spider web. Oh. Like I was patterned. Like my arms had this like camouflage oh. pattern going all the way down them. I'd be at the grocery store and little kids would look at me like I was a monster and like hold on to their parents. It was terrible. And it was really painful. And so um, so for years, that was like the undercurrent mm-hmm. of all the other things that were happening. Um but I was also taking that as an opportunity to just learn more and more and more all the time. So I was really determined to be a cook and that's what I was doing. And I was doing all those other things and, you know, just busy being, you know, weird homeless girl, <laughs> but also <laughs> studying about this. And, um, and on the side through my cooking, through my modeling, through everything else, I had started doing these bespoke formulations, working with people like myself, you know, someone would come to me and they'd have a condition even worse than mine and I would help them. And we would sit down and talk about their skin and what they're eating and how they're living and look at the whole spectrum. And then I would design a protocol just for them. And I would find the plants that worked just for them. And I would create these formulas. And it was cool because it was one-on-one. And so I learned so much. I had everyone coming to me from, you know, psoriasis, dermatitis, eczema, rosacea, um, post-cancer, radiation therapy, acne, the whole spectrum. And so I learned an incredible amount about all these different skin types. Um, and it was really just something that I just was doing for fun. 
um, and then doing that. On so the you side didn't. Of, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. you didn't charge these people for this. You just did no, it not at the time. It was it was just a service. And, well, in the beginning, I did ultimately charge for them, but in the beginning, it was just it was just something that I wanted to do because I didn't think that that was a career. And again, I like felt so weird about charging people for stuff. I was I'm a little funny about money. <laughs> I'm in my own way for sure, and um, so I didn't want to charge them. I just wanted to like help pick them. their brain see their skin, have this like playground to work with and, and build these relationships and to be trusted by somebody in, in that capacity was, was so valuable to me. And, um, so it started from there and I was like, you know, trying to make money as a makeup artist and, you know, whatever, thinking that that was New York, uh, all over. So by, I eventually left New York and, um, moved a number of times in there. I was in Chicago for a while. I was in Vegas for a while. I moved out to LA three times before it stuck. Okay. And so there was some transient, there was a few years I just didn't live anywhere. I just kind of moved from place to place, especially when I was modeling and working as a makeup artist. It just made sense. I just followed the jobs. So, um, yeah, so I didn't have one. Yeah. So (laughs) Andy. Yeah. And I think that was part of it too. It's like, how can you take me seriously as a formulator or as someone who can really help you? I don't even live Mm. anywhere. And so it was just something that I was just doing, but, um, yeah, around the time that I was really like hitting my wall with being a makeup artist and starting to think about, how could I do this differently is when I started charging for that service. And that actually really helped because then people knew that they could actually hire me and which I didn't really realize that people needed that permission. It was like, yeah. Oh, Oh, this is a service. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Um, and then word of mouth really just grew and there, I had so many more clients. And so I was staying really busy doing that. Um, and then, and so when I started to think, all right, if I'm going to bottle something, what is that? What's that going to be? What's the, what's the point of that? Because there are a million beauty companies in the world. What do I have to bring to it? And what I have to bring to it is this, is this history, is really, really understanding these kinds of skin conditions, understanding my own skin condition, um, what it's meant for me and my family, what it's meant to these men and women that I'd had the opportunity to work with so personally um, for so many years. And, uh, and the feeling part, I'm not a chemist. I'm not a traditionally trained formulator, Mm. Um, but I do know this stuff. And more important to me is actually what everything feels like. Mm. And I learned that um, through working for so many years with, with these people who they would come to me and they'd be so broken and their relationship to their skin would be so broken and they'd be so sad Mm. and in physical pain and in emotional pain and had no relationship that was positive at all to their own touch. And so for me, there was the part that really wanted to address the, the physical symptom that was happening um, that was resulting in the inflammation or the, the plane or the rashes or the blisters or whatever it was manifesting as. I wanted to address that and call them that, obviously. But what I really wanted was to get them to a place where they could touch and love their skin. Mm. Because they didn't. They would look in the mirror and they would just hate themselves. And they would look in the mirror and they would cry. And I knew what that was. I knew what it felt like to not want to leave your house. I knew what it felt like to be scared to go to the grocery store and have those kids look at me. I knew what it felt like. And um, so I had such empathy for that, that I, I had a really big mission. I needed to bring these formulas that I knew really worked and were creating physical change to the table. And I needed to bottle it up in this way that felt so beautiful and celebratory and loving that 
it can be a catalyst to get you back to that relationship with yourself. And so it was really about that. And it was like, if I could do that through like putting a note in a bottle, Mm. then, then cool, then that's Mm. enough. Um, And if I can actually bring the real formula to it as well, Mm. then I win. And so that became the mission. And that was a pretty mighty mission in a time where green beauty wasn't really a thing. There wasn't luxury beauty like on the market. There was like nothing. (laughs) kind of um and the only person who was doing green beauty that was luxury uh kahina beauty had like a couple of products but it was mostly just their argan oil i think at that time tata harper had just launched pretty close to then that was it Mm -hmm. everything else was like what you'd find at whole foods or farmers markets so there was natural products but it was like what I'd grown up with in my like hippie dippy household. It wasn't um, anything that you would naturally gravitate towards. Um, and then in terms of there being products and formulas that were good for addressing these kinds of conditions, none of those were natural. Yeah, It was like, literally it was tar and it was bleach and it was uh, Accutane or yeah, whatever. I and, went on Accutane and it made and me really depressed. Hormones and steroids yeah. and, and things and and. I'd been given all of that stuff. I'd taken everything under the sun for for my own skin and everything was so aggressive. And so how do I bring those worlds together? Mm. And so I spent a few years really just working on refining those specific formulas that I knew would be effective for everybody. Yeah. Just a big challenge. Like I, would, I didn't yeah. want to dumb it down too much. Like I wanted it to be powerful as what I was giving to my bespoke clients who would come to me with from these really trauma skin conditions. Um, but I also needed somebody to be able to like buy it blind off the internet right. or off a shelf with knowing nothing about it and take it home and like not be too scared to use it. Yeah. Um, my formulas were all a little weird. It wasn't like your traditional, like here's your foaming face wash and your right. lotion. Like right. that, that's not how I work. That's not how plants work. And so, uh, and then how to do that and package it in a way that, that felt sexy, that felt fun, that felt, you know, that you wanted to reach for. Because what I would have is I would have clients who, um, their skin would be getting better, um, using my formulas, but then they'd still be using or maybe using what their doctor was still prescribing. They'd still have like the steroid cream for, you know, for their eczema or, you know, their Accutane for their, you know, for their acne or um, all these different things. And what I saw over and over was that, you know, whether it's like a a cream for rashes or it's a cream for breakouts, it was just a reminder of something that's broken. And so Mm. even the packaging, it would like say on there, you know, eczema cream and like, you know, acne and anti-aging and it was all this like really really like negative messaging and also just a reminder like I don't need to be reminded every time I reach for something to help myself that I have eczema yeah I know I have eczema yeah I don't need to be told every time I reach for a moisturizer anti-aging yeah Thank you. I don't need to be told that. Do I want to age gracefully? Absolutely. Do I want to honor my skin as it ages? Absolutely. Do you need to tell me anti-anything about myself in writing that I look at twice a day, every (laughs) day? Fuck you. That's so mean. mean. It's mean. I I think it's awful. That way. That's so true. Yeah. So I just hate that. This is just my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. Uh, And and it's everything from. From, yes, from aging products to acne to eczema to psoriasis, they all just say the word on it. And I get that because you need to be able to identify what you're looking for, for your concern. I get it. I do. But God, there's just got to be a nicer way. Yeah. So 
my mission was to take that efficacy, bottle it up, wrap it up in a way that's beautiful, that has positive messaging, and somehow hope that people can still find it and know it's for them. But my thought was, if I just put everything into it and I do it exactly the way that I think that it should be and cut no corners anywhere from, you know, from the sourcing of the ingredients to, you know, to literally from like how they're grown to how they're harvested to how fresh they are when they arrive at my hands to what happens in my process. I was blending and filling every bottle myself and these are totally my formulas. And then I would, you know, I would pack every box and I would write every note and I would run to this <laughs> to the post office and um we're fast forwarding some time here but um when everything had finally come together and I had finally like launched my website and then ultimately launched with my first retailer I launched with my first retailer the day my daughter was born oh wow yeah that's incredible yeah the day she was born which is kind of insane but it happens that way um and uh we operated out of our so my now my current husband, um, only husband, but still current, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he came into the picture nine years ago, right at the beginning. I had just hired my first packaging designer. So when I finally was like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. I'd refined it. I knew what the goal was. I knew what the mission was. I need to have great packaging so that I can put these really transformative formulas into it Yeah, and have it be taken seriously. Yeah. So again, it was like, I need to have the right packaging so that when people see it they know that it's for them and yeah. they get excited by it and they actually want to use it because so many of my clients they were like i don't actually i don't actually want to use you know x product because it's just ugly and it sits on my shelf and yeah. just like mm, it doesn't feel good yeah and i like want to hide it when guests come over <laughs> yeah i want to hide it from myself and it doesn't smell good i don't want to get into bed with my husband i don't want right. to get into bed with myself right <laughs> so um yeah, so it became this thing where it was like, all right, it's got to be really beautiful. So I found this this packaging designer and he's amazing and I've been working with him for 10 years now. And uh I knew him before my husband who I now have two kids with. So history there. And we just made the most beautiful thing that I could imagine. Yeah. And everything from like the weight of the paper to mm. the gold foil printing to I mean, we just went so over the top and it was like I was so scared. I was like, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to care. There's not even a market for this. No one's doing this. There's no, there's nothing like this. There's barely green beauty, much less mm. luxury green beauty. And certainly not at this price point. Mm. And it had to be at this price point because it was damn expensive sure. what I was doing. Sure. And it was just me. Yeah. And so it was this totally insane thing to do. But my husband jokes, like my goal was always, you know, I had this little cupboard in this little like studio that we'd set up in a bedroom in our house and it was like my goal is just to pay for that first round of ingredients and that first round of jars because then <laughs> i'll know that i did it yeah. i did it i put everything that i had into it with yeah. no compromises anywhere i did it exactly the way that i believed it should be done and if i do that and it fails i can walk away going all right then this is just isn't my thing mm. but if i cut a corner anywhere even if it's just like slightly less heavyweight paper, mm. I might go, well, maybe if it had been better paper, sure. it would have given a different impression. Mm. Or like if I use like, you know, the regular shea butter, you can just click a button on the internet and have land at your doorstep in two days. I'd save some money. Mm. But if people didn't buy it, would I go, well, what if I had just gotten the like really fucking mind blowing, yeah. super fresh, good stuff that's just loaded with all the real things that really do something for yeah. you? Maybe then their skin would have loved it. Yeah. 
and they'd come back. So you went and all out. And so I just so went all out. It was like, wonder. yeah, That's I never amazing. had to wonder. And so if I just throw everything at it, then I can either walk away knowing that I had given it everything and it just wasn't a, a hit and that's fine. I can make peace with that. Or it'll be a hit and that's something I can stand behind. So luckily, it, it was, was a hit. hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I have to just add like, so I got turned on to you by my friend Mercedes Marino. I want to say one of my pole dancing teachers. <laughs> you have to tell me about your pole dancing. Oh, yes. You must come. <laughs> she would, she's obsessed with you. She's like going to freak out when I tell her. She's in Maine right now with her family, but she's going to freak out when I tell her that you were in my house. Um, Is she here? She's in LA. Oh, you'll have to introduce oh, me. Oh, she loves you so much. I'm ready she, to meet my women. Okay. Oh, you'll love her. This is She's my chapter. You, you'll, you'll come and we'll do a class. So. Okay. Um, that sounds terrifying. But she went to see you. <laughs> she makes it so loving and amazing. It's very, it's very dark. There's no lights. It's like, Perfect. yeah, it's great. You'll okay. love it. Um, but she'd gone to see you somewhere in Santa Monica do a talk mm. a couple years ago. And she said, I'm this woman. I'm just, I... I want to work with her. But I just want to. Uh. And so she brought the blue cocoon to class and she put it on me. And I was like, what is that? What is that? That's my, that's my other child. That was it. Ever since then, I order my stuff before I run out because I don't want to not have it. And I've never like, I, just anyway, back to the experience that you ex described that you want to give. <laughs> My dog's trying to make out with May. It's okay. I'm into it. I'm very into it. Um, the experience that you described that you want people to have, I have it. And I just opened a package today before you came. And um, it is this decadent, like I get the thing in the mail and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to wait to open it until I want to, I don't want to just cut open the box when I'm busy in my kid's home. But I want to, it's like savoring like a beautiful bowl of you know, fresh ice cream or yeah. I want to have that moment because it, it is when I open it, it's a handwritten note and everything's packed beautifully. It just, the weight of it in my hand that I haven't even gotten to the product, like to the inside of the jar. But and those other parts, they matter. And that, that opening matter. experience that you're talking about, you remember that. So when you go and then, you know, three months later, when you open that same jar that you received three months ago yeah. and you're opening it, you know, for the 90th time yeah. in 90 days or, yeah. or whatever, you open it up and you have that, you have a ripple of that. Yes. And when you, when you open a package, it should feel like Christmas yeah. and it should feel like that every time. And it makes me feel, I could get emotional saying this because it is just a deeper underlying thing and it's why I do the podcast and it's why I love women and I feel valued as a woman, like from a woman to a woman, like I feel valued, mm -hmm. you know? And like, I don't know. I just, I love what you're doing. And I love now knowing the whole history behind it is just so fascinating. And so I want to ask you as kind of my last question before we dive into these other lightning round things is what is on the horizon for you, for your company, for yourself? What's, what's next for you? And this is it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a funny thing because people always ask me, you know, and it's the business. This is part of the retail thing, yeah. right? And people are like, what's new? What are you making that's new? And and I'm funny because I don't, I don't make new stuff all the time. There was three years between my last product launches. Mm. And, you know, when normally everything's coming out like every two months or certainly every season or at least every year, um, I just don't. I just don't operate yeah. like that. Your skin doesn't need 60 products. Yeah. So I didn't make 60. I made seven. Seven. 
That's enough. And I love that too, because it keeps me from being overwhelmed. Yeah. It's really straightforward that it, it checks all the boxes and there's so many ways to mix and match and adapt. And you have to listen to your own skin. It really forces you to have that relationship and to tune in. And it's like cooking kind of, it's like, yeah. you have to have your salt and your spice and your sweet and your yeah. sour and like you put it all together and you need different ratios of things on different days. And so really encouraging this culture of play and to not be scared of your skin, not be scared to yes. like, to really touch and to breathe and to make it an experience and, um, and to reach out and ask for help. Like our customer service is like out of this world. I don't know if you've ever sent an email. You I, should. Yeah, I did. They did were you? so responsive and kind and amazing <laughs> and okay. And also this loving, like, we're so sorry. There was an, there was a, because May, so once you guys will start ordering, hopefully as soon as you can, because it's such a gift to yourself. Sorry about the dog barking in the background. May gives these amazing samples and they're not like samples in little packets along with what she just described that goes with your whole philosophy. They're like actual, they're like full travel size they're glass. They're glass. They're they're yeah. they're like just a miniature size of the and actual product. They're super product. cute. They're super cute. <laughs> like I have in my purse. I carry the blue cocoon in my purse because <laughs> I too. put it on my wrists. I put it. But anyway, there there was a mess up or something, and it and they said we've got it. We've already got it handled. It was just so nice. And they but also to go back to the cooking thing because Mercedes and I talk about and our other us friends who she turned on to your products as well. It's like, oh my God, have you tried mixing the pendulum mm -hmm. potion with the honey mud mask? And what if you did this? <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, well, I just wake up and put the honey mud mask on and just mm -hmm. walk around. And blah, blah, blah. It's like fun. <laughs> There's this feeling yeah. of play and it's this decadent thing. And like, you know, you can eat a little bit. of it. <laughs> like, it, it is really, it just feels like a gift to myself. Yeah. And that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, that's, that's the entire point. Yeah, we don't have enough um, moments of that. And so I try to be really over the top with it because <laughs> sometimes you have to go so far the other direction to feel something. And so it is. And so the packaging's over the top and the formulas are extraordinary and the textures and the colors and the scents, they're all magical. And, and there is so much heart and there's so much love. And if you really let yourself feel that, um, it's special. What we do is really special and I'm really proud of it. And so As you should be, you know, what, what's next? This, yeah. we just keep doing what we're doing and try and be better at it every yeah. day. Like I don't have like a growth plan. I'm not trying to scale or, yeah. you know, there's an, those words don't exist. We're entirely self-funded. Our customers are it. You're our investors. I don't have to answer to anybody. There's, there's no board of directors. There's no outside investments. It's, it's mine. Yeah. And um, so there's so much freedom that comes with that to, to just show up and do what we do. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And on top of it, you have two children that yeah. you're raising. Yeah. So I love that you posted. And before we go into the questions, recently it was Thanksgiving, I think. And you mm -hmm. posted, I'm signing off, you know, really <laughs> shutting down for time with my family. And there was this beautiful family photo of you and your children, and your husband. Mm -hmm. And and I thought, oh, that's, yes, thank you. And I need to be reminded of that because... Oftentimes, and I've shared about this on the show too, I'm, my phone is partly my business. Mm -hmm. You know, my business is on my phone. And my son has said to me, mom, you need to put your phone down. And I'm yeah. like, thank you, honey. Thank you for reminding me. Yes. Let's, I need to put it away from my person. And good job to him for calling you out on it. Oh, yeah. yeah. He calls me out on a lot. No, listen to that. Yeah, it's so great. And so... So it's great that you're able to live that in, you know, your philosophy for your business also is like you're, you're walking the walk. You're, 
you're doing it in all areas. So I well, think I try, amazing. and you know, and this year, this year was really I had hit my edge. This was a tough year for me, actually, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I was right in the middle of it at Thanksgiving time. I was just in this, but having like bad anxiety, which you talk about on your show a yes. lot. I had a panic attack oh, right before oh. then, which had, I'd never had before. I didn't even really know what that was. And um, so that was a first time thing. And it was kind of in the middle of, I've gone through this twice. So with, with both kids, I nursed for two years with both of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, which means I've been pregnant or nursing for six of the last eight years. Yeah. Um, which is a lot. Yeah. And I stopped nursing my son in August and uh, in September, it was like, I fell off a cliff. Yeah. And I, and the same kind of thing happened with my daughter after I stopped nursing her. It's funny. Cause I had postpartum stuff with, with both of them. Um, but not really extreme. I actually had much more when I stopped nursing. Interesting, and, and that's two years into yeah into it, and yeah. so I think you feel like you're not um, able to be in the shit that yeah. far in. And it's right. like I should be over this. It's not like my babies are like I don't have newborns. I have two year old, like, which is fine, actually worse. Just, oh God, so much worse. <laughs> Give me all the babies. Take my the toddler. Babies are easy, but you don't know that when it's your no, first. No, you, you don't. You're just like, oh, this is so exhausting. But you're, they're just yeah, yeah. So I went through this yeah. like three to four month just low just super low with my daughter who's now six when I went through it with her I just got stupid I don't know what happened it was like I lost my mind and turned into a teenager and I just didn't want to come home and I just wanted to like be I don't know I wanted to be anywhere else yeah yeah I just kind of went crazy for a minute and with my son it was the opposite I just fell into this hole I just fell into the dark and um I hadn't ever experienced that Mm. that before i've been through dark periods when actual things are going bad right (laughs) you know when things are actually shitty i can register that they they are and this there was nothing happening there was nothing bad the family was good the marriage is really solid like i was feeling really good business is going great you i was just thinking because i know your instagram feed almost by heart (laughs) not not really i'm not that weird of a stalker but (laughs) i'm just remembering that you um you moved your business around that time around that time so that was Which a, big a big transition, transition too. Yeah, there was a lot of things. There was a lot of things going on. And I'm not sure what it was, but it was just like, I just fell into this hole mm. and there wasn't anything acute I could point to. Mm. And every day it would just be like, oh, is this going to be the day that I'm going to wake up and feel normal? Mm. No, not today. And that just kept going on. And then somewhere in the middle of that, I had a, I had a panic attack. And yeah, so things were just weird. And then normally during you know, Thanksgiving and traditional in all businesses and beauty businesses, you do something for Black Friday. You do something for, you know, for that time. And, uh, and we normally do. And so the last handful of Thanksgivings I'd worked, I'd worked from the second I'd wake up to the second I went to bed and I'd, I'd try and give my team as much time off as, as I could. And so that just meant that I was on the whole time. And so I hadn't had a Thanksgiving in years and, and it was like, you know what? I really, I really need this time. I really need this time with my kids. And so we just had it off. We just closed the company and closed it for everybody. Mm -hmm. We didn't ship. We didn't take orders. We didn't answer emails. We didn't do any of it. And it's like, there's not a skincare emergency. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone can wait. It'll be fine. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be people who are disappointed that there's not like, you know, some big promotion going on. 
But, well, but you again, know, you always, with every single order, you get these treats. Yeah, I so mean, I try and make every one so special. And we do do fun things throughout the year. Yeah. And this year, I just needed to claim it. Yeah. This is mine. And uh, and I think it's easy to forget. If you look, like you said, you're on my Instagram all the time. So, you know, it's all it's all beautiful and shiny and perfect. It's not yeah. real, right? That's highlight yeah. real. And I people don't realize how small we actually are. We're, yeah. we're still a really small company. We're still a drop in the bucket in the world of beauty. And we're a really intimate team and it takes all of us. And so if one person goes on vacation, we all might as well go on vacation because like we can't swim yeah. without all people on yeah. board. So so we we kind of have created a little bit of a precedent of doing that where like if we all really need a break, we just close. Yes. And if that needs to happen during Thanksgiving and we like, you know, lose out on like some big like sales period, whatever. Yeah. I'm so grateful that we're a strong enough and sustainable enough business now that like I can make a decision like that yes. and I can wow and delight all of our clients in some other way on some other day and yeah. still spend Thanksgiving cuddling my kids. Yes. And that's the ultimate. That's the that ultimate. That is the ultimate. So I'm working I mean. on that. Yeah. The the what's next really we're we're doing we continue doing what we're doing yeah. and I need to take better care of myself because mm. I'm not in a position to go into a hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm feeling a lot better over the last few weeks, but that was a weird, scary period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better and I'm glad you're here. I'm going to ask you the three questions I ask every guest and then we're going to a lightning round. What do you think about May when you hear the word MILF? And what do you think about that acronym? Uh, you know what? I'll take it. I am a mom. <laughs> <laughs> At 16, they called me the girl with the fuck me That's eyes. Right. So if you want to call me mother, I'd like to fuck now. I'm going to just, I'm just going to say thank you. Great. Except I know that's not actually what yours stands for. <laughs> Um, well, I always say it's both. <laughs> I really do feel like it's both. Like it's, you have to claim the original, oh, yeah. because it's both. It, obviously, that's the first thing that people think of yes. when when they hear that. And I know that that was intentional. Yeah. I'll have to pick your brain about that sometime. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I am a mom. I am sexual. I am. I am all of the things that are me. You can call it whatever you want. Yeah, and we don't lose those things after we become mothers. In fact, in my experience and everyone I've interviewed, those things deepen and get more enriched, you know, through all of these things. So what's something you've changed your mind about recently? I don't have to be in control of everything. Mm. I don't have to be in charge to be relevant. Mm. Such a good one. How do you define success? We kind of already talked about that a little bit, but I try not to think about success as being a destination because it makes it feel like everything else then isn't success, which feels kind of negative. Mm. It's like, oh, you're either in success or you're not. Mm. And so if I haven't reached the thing that I define as success, then what is the other stuff? Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's sort of like, I think all I really want is just to be able to be where I am mm. when I'm there. Mm. Okay, lightning round. Ocean or desert? Ocean. Favorite junk food? Ben and Jerry's s'mores. Oh, yum. <laughs> <laughs> Movies or Broadway show? Movies. 
daytime sex or nighttime sex? Hmm. Uh, I like the idea of daytime sex. I work a lot and have kids, so nighttime sex. <laughs> Texting or talking? Both. I really love human interaction. I'm also super introvert and it tires me out. Like I'm going to have to go home and take like a nap. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I text a lot yeah. um, for, for practical reasons, but I really crave human, yeah. human talk. Me too. Cat person or dog person? Both, but dog. Have you ever worn a unitard? That's like the full, that's the full yeah. body thing. Yeah. Um, I've worn a snowsuit a lot, which is kind of like a fluffy <laughs> version of that. <laughs> fluffy unitard. That's amazing. <laughs> Shower or bathtub? Both. Uh, baths, baths to really, really relax. Yeah. And showers to energize. Mm. They have different functions. Ice cream or chocolate? Ice cream. But very specific. Only Ben and Jerry's s'mores. Got it. Nothing else. Not vanilla ice no. cream. Not one flavor. And I eat the whole pint. Oh, yum. And I can eat a whole pint every day. If, mm. if there. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at ping pong? Zero. It's probably will go behind me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gosh, I, I, I almost hate to ask you this one, but I have to. <laughs> if you could push a button and it would create 10 years of world peace, but it would also place a hundred year ban on all beauty products, <laughs> would you push it? Yeah. <laughs> I give no shits about beauty products. That might be what I make, but that's not what we do. Superpower choice. Mm -hmm. Invisibility, ability to fly, or super strength. Ooh, you added in ability to fly. Yeah. Well... I'm still going to go with super strengths. I think I spent a lot of my life being invisible. I don't need to be invisible. Um, flying. Yeah, I think anyone can really fly. That's a perception thing. Mm. Strength would be good. I, yeah. I don't like feeling physically weak in my body. Mm. And I've been feeling pretty weak in my body. So super mm. strength sounds useful. Would you rather have mm -hmm. a penis where your tailbone is? Yes. Or <laughs> third eye. Penis where the tailbone is. <laughs> Did she answer before I finished yeah. the question? Well, okay. So I, I know this is supposed to be like speed round, but that's not my No, no, no. It, does, it doesn't. I think of it like, all right, so third eye. Why do I need a third eye? I don't really know what I would do with it. It yeah. doesn't sound like that necessary. It's not somewhere I useful. I already mm -hmm. have two eyes right there, so I don't need a third. If it was like located somewhere else, I could see behind me maybe or right. something that might have more use for it. And everyone sees it. So I look weird. And it doesn't have a function. So right. there's nothing to that. Um, the penis, nobody would know about necessarily mm. unless I told them. Mm -hmm. And if you had the right person, it could be fun. Yes. So the whole world doesn't have to see it, but it could be selectively. You have a wonderful secret. But it could be selectively very interesting. Yes. Yeah, why not? That's a well thought out response, May. Also seems more easily removable if I change my mind. Right. True. <laughs> what was the name of your first pet? Onions. What was the name of the street you grew up on? Uh, so this is a hard one because I didn't grow up on a street. I grew up on a minimum maintenance road that didn't have a name. Oh, wow. Okay. So I am really bad at this poor name thing because I have a cat named Onions <laughs> in a no-name road. So I don't know where you go with that. I mean, I think it's Onions <laughs> no-name. <laughs> onions no-name. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go very far in porn. <laughs> Which is it's, which is why it's great that you have another career that seems to be going just fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, May, <laughs> so 
wonderful to chat with you. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with May. Uh, Next week on the show, we have Joanne Astro, who is Claudia Rappaport-Lano's mom. She blew me away. She absolutely blew me away. And one of the most fascinating women I've ever met. Our conversation was hilarious and heartfelt and just had all the things you want when you go to an excellent movie and you have your fresh popcorn in your lap. I mean, not in your lap, like in a bag. Anyway, you know what I mean? I say, um, way too much. Truly, truly. And Derek edits it out so I don't sound like a total idiot, but I just, I say it a lot. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I can't wait to come back to you next week with a fresh episode of MILF Podcast. Go ahead and go to my website, milfpodcast.com to grab your copy of Seven Habits of Baller MILFs. Talk to you guys soon.